0: Well, for those of you who are new, uh, I do want to welcome you. And always at the top of every message, I always just take a minute or two to get you oriented. We're, we're in the midst of a series you can see on the screen called Jesus the King. And this is a series on the life and teaching of Jesus of Nazareth, uh, as told through the eyes of one of the, the leaders of the early movement of Jesus. His name is Mark. Uh, he's a close personal friend of the Apostle Peter. And so, towards the end of Peter's life, he writes an account of the life of Jesus based on Peter's. First-hand eyewitness experiences, and so so far we've watched as Jesus has launched his ministry in the northern part of the nation, area called the Galilee, and uh, and his his message, his core message, is very simple. uh, Central it's uh, that the kingdom of God long uh, long prophesied, uh, promised by the prophets of Israel for like a thousand years, that one day that Yahweh would come back to the nation, break into time and space establish his people, usher in this new era of righteousness, justice, peace, and prosperity, that that kingdom was about to break loose. The kingdom was near. And then not only did Jesus make that claim, but wherever he went, he ushered in the power of the kingdom, So it's sort of like a preview of coming attraction. So he would heal the sick, he would multiply loaves, he would command nature. It was kind of a picture, a preview of here's what life will be like when all wrongs are turned to right and the power of the kingdom comes. Well, so far in this series, uh, in Mark's gospel, Jesus has spent almost all of his time in the northern part of the nation around the Sea of Galilee uh, in this area called the Galilee. But today, for the very first time, he's going to break out uh, for an extended journey And he's going to travel north outside the nation of Israel up to an area called Tyre and Sidon. Now, Tyre and Sidon are two very ancient cities. Um, You see them often mentioned in the Old Testament, major cities. Uh, They are on the the Mediterranean seacoast. Tyre is about 35 miles to the northwest of Israel. Uh, Sidon's about 20 miles even farther north. And so Jesus is going to travel up to the north and then he's going to circle back around and go to the eastern side of the Sea of Galilee, which is also a Gentile area. He's been operating in the western side, so it's also. And uh, the question is really why? Because one thing we know about Jesus is that his primary calling, his assignment, was to take the message of the kingdom to the nation of Israel, right? So, so when people came like uh, Roman centurions or he encountered Gentiles, he would heal them, he would deal with them, but in general, his focus was on the nation of Israel. It was phase one of the kingdom of God. Uh, In the future, the kingdom of God would expand to all the world, but his assignment was to focus on Israel. So for example, if you remember back in Mark chapter 6, when Jesus first recruited his 12 uh, followers, and then he sent them out on their first missionary journey to go out and to share the message of the kingdom, to heal the sick, and to cast out demons from people who are demonized, uh, I don't know if you remember, but he was very specific. He said, I want you to go to the villages of Galilee, right? And in fact, in, in Matthew chapter 10, which is uh, Matthew's account of that same uh, journey, uh, Matthew is even uh, more specific. Jesus even gave more information. So there in your note sheet, you see what Jesus said on the journey. He said, do not go amongst the home. The Gentiles, say it again. You weren't there yet. Do... <laughs> Yeah, I don't know, don't know. Uh, do not go amongst the home, yeah. the Gentiles. So Jesus specifically told it, don't go to the Gentiles, right? And he goes on, he says, or enter any town that's Samaritans, which were kind of half breeds, like part Jewish and part Gentile says, go rather to the lost sheep of Israel. And as you go, preach this message, the kingdom of God, kingdom of heaven is near. And so Jesus, his focus was on Israel. Uh, his, his men's focus was on Israel. So the question is, uh, why would Jesus be leaving Israel now for extended periods of time to go north to Tyre and Sidon and then eventually east uh, to, the, uh, to, the, uh, to the, this area called the Decapolis, this area of 10 Greek cities or in Confederation? And the answer is, we don't really know. Like, we don't even know why he's doing this. Like, Mark doesn't say, Jesus doesn't say, but most scholars, as they look at this, they believe that what we're seeing today is kind of a preview of coming attractions, that it's a window into the future, that right now, Jesus' ministry and the kingdom of God is being focused on Israel first. But after his life, death, and resurrection, the kingdom of God will begin to expase, uh, expand into phase two, which is going out to all the world. And then Jesus is kind of modeling that. He's giving hints of that. We're seeing that, that when that time comes, we're going to see, oh yeah, he did that. And so, um, so today we're actually going to be looking at two events. Um, and one event uh, involves uh, uh, what I'm calling a, de- a determined mom. Uh, second event's going to uh, involve a deaf man, two healings. And so as Jesus goes north today to the area of Tyre and Sidon, what we're going to see is he's going to try to keep it secret. He doesn't want anyone to know why he's going there. We don't really know why. Maybe he wants some R&R with his men. Maybe he wants to stay under the, the, uh, the radar politically so that Herod, who's just killed King, uh, John the Baptist for preaching the kingdom, doesn't come after him. We don't really know why. But what we'll learn today is that even when you have a plan and even when you're Jesus, that one determined woman can stop you in your tracks. So here we go. So there in your note sheet, you have a section called uh, New Horizons, a window to the future. You see the two sections, a determined mom and a deaf man. So let's take our Bibles, our apps, whatever you got, and go to uh, Mark chapter 7, and we'll pick it up in verse 24. All right, so it starts off. Jesus uh, left that place, and this is the place where he was teaching last week. Remember last week, uh, Dre was teaching, and by the way, didn't he do an awesome job? It was just a fantastic job um, breaking down that passage for us. Uh, I loved it. Um, listening to it, podcasting it Monday, did a great job. But anyway, uh, last week, you know, Dre, Dre was setting this up that Jesus was in the northwest side, uh, probably the Capernaum area. The, these uh, religious teachers, Pharisees from From the south, come up from Jerusalem. They challenge Jesus and his men. They're not following the traditions of the elders. And it leads to this whole discussion about true defilement what what defiles us? So, in verse 24, Jesus is leaving that place now and he's going to the vicinity of Tyre. So, again, picture this in your mind. We're going north out of Israel. You can probably picture that going up 35 miles. Uh, Over to the sea coast, the Mediterranean Sea, and there's Tyre, area of Tyre. So, he's entering a house. He doesn't want anyone to know it. He, uh, but he couldn't keep his presence secret. Now, uh, remember, way back in Mark chapter three, uh, we're told that Jesus' popularity was expanding, that uh, that people were coming from greater and greater distance. You may even remember that people were coming outside the nation to see Jesus and. Tyre and Sidon was specifically mentioned, that from the north, people were coming from Tyre and Sidon, people from east to the Jordan, which is where we'll be going later today, they were coming. And so, so you can picture this, uh, people from the region of Tyre and Sidon have trained the long trip to see Jesus, this, uh, this Jewish prophet, holy man, uh, healer, miracle worker, and they've come back to their region with the stories of this amazing prophet. And so what's going to happen is Jesus is going to go north to escape publicity, but even up there, there's going to be people—some some people who recognize him. And so uh, one person who gets wind of this is this, this mother, this determined mother, and she has a daughter who is severely demonized. And uh, I'm sure she has thought and dreamed of going to see Jesus uh, and taking her daughter, but after all, she lives a long way away. There's probably no way logically she can take her daughter all the way on the trip, And so now she hears Jesus, miracle of miracles, has come to her area. And so she wants to go see this this Jewish kind of uh, healer. And so uh, I want you to picture this because we often forget. This is a pre-Twitter day. This is a pre. There's there's no text messages. There's no CNN. You can't go online and like for a Jesus watch. Where's Jesus today? You know. Oh, GPS shows he's here. You know. And so, uh, so like when you hear that Jesus is in an area, uh, usually you're just gonna hear a rumor. Like you, you know, rumor he's in this general vicinity. And so. If you're gonna find Jesus you're gonna have to search for him right you're gonna have to ask around Follow the rumor trails. You might literally go to door, 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 and then you get closer, knocking on doors. Hey, I'm looking for a Jew. He's about this tall. He's got 12 guys with him. Uh, you know, have you seen him? Uh, tassels on his clothes. Looks a little odd. Blue tassels. Uh, you know, and so you're going to have to seek after him. And I want you to catch that. We often miss this, that there's not just like, you know, oh, Jesus is there. I'll go up. He's at, you know, corner of Hollywood and mine. Boom, there he is. All right, good, Jesus. Yeah, 12 guys, I see him. Uh, uh, so anyway, so she's going to go on quite the search. And so eventually, though, uh, kind of hot and sweaty. It's kind of high picture her. She's, kind of, you know, she's just searching and searching. She finally uh, chases him down, and she, she finds out. And He's in this house. You know, he doesn't want to be known, right? Because uh, we've seen his priority is Israel. And uh, just if you're Jesus, and you start going into Gentile territory, and you start healing the sick and opening the eyes of the blind, what's going to happen? Crowds are going to come. Right, and now you're going to be off track. You're not carrying out your assignment. You're getting ahead of yourself. And so he's trying to stay low. He's uh, hiding in his house, but she finds it. And so she's going to come in. She's desperate. She's going to fall at his feet. She's going to beg him to heal her daughter. And Jesus is going to do something very strange, very unexpected. Throughout the Gospel of Mark, we've seen that when anyone comes to Jesus like this, his heart is always full of compassion, right? The leper in chapter one, reach out and touch him. The guy been coming down through the roof with his friends, the crowds he sees on the shore, like a, like a I say, like sheep without a shepherd. We've seen it time and time. The compassion of Jesus. This is the one time in the Gospel of Mark. It's not going to seem that way. Uh, Jesus is going to come out as a little harsh, a little cold, and we're not really sure why. Uh, that. You know, many scholars believe that he's actually just kind of challenging her and calling out her faith and that if we were there and if you could hear the tone of his voice and the wink in his eye and the facial expressions, that it would, be, it would feel very different than what it actually kind of reads like. We're not sure, but, but uh, there's no question that he's challenging her. And so she's going to ask him to heal the, the daughter and Jesus, at least on the surface, is going to say no. And uh, he's going to tell her a little story, a little parable. He should to say, I, you know, I can't really do that. He says, it's kind of like if you go to the store, you buy food for your family, your kids, you come home and then you feed it to your dogs and your, your kids starve. Like, I can't do that, right? There may be some double entendre here because Jews referred to Gentiles often as the dogs, which helps us understand why they didn't get along. But anyway, um, anyway, uh, so there may be some double on top. He says, hey, that'd be, really, that'd be wrong to take the food that's really for the, for the kids and give them to the do- There's a priority thing here going on. Um, but she is not gonna be intimidated by Jesus. She's not gonna be stopped. She's not gonna take no for an answer. She is gonna press into him. Um, she's not gonna do, probably what I would do is like, okay, sorry to bother you. Uh, she is just gonna continue pressing and She's gonna step right into that story. And she to say, yeah, but Jesus, I, I get that. You've got your priorities you don't want to do a big ministry, set up a tent, start healing people, you know, crusade. I get that. But all I'm asking for are the crumbs that are falling from the table. It's so like, I don't want you to, I'm trying to say heal a whole nation, start some new. Healing. I just have one little girl. Would you just, even the dogs get to eat the crumbs that fall from the table? And so she really presses in to Jesus. And, uh, and so the question is, how does he respond? How does he respond to someone pushing back on his no? And the answer is, is he loves it. He actually loves it. He's, he's really taken with this woman that has such a deep confidence in who he is, his compassion, his power, and so we'll see what happens. Here we go. Chapter 7, verse 24. So Jesus uh, leaves that place. He goes to the vicinity of Tyre. There's a house, doesn't want anyone to know. But he couldn't keep his presence sequence. In fact, as soon as he heard about him, this woman whose little daughter was possessed by an evil spirit, she comes, she falls at his feet, and she's desperate. The, Mark says the woman was a Greek. She was a, a Gentile. She's born in Syrian Phoenicia, which is that area of Tyre and Sidon. And she just begs Jesus. And I want you to picture this. She is just desperate. She's begging Jesus to drive the demon out of her daughter. And so Jesus responds. Here comes the parable. He says, first... Let the children eat all they want. There's certain priorities here. Certain, there's a certain plan here. Uh, for it's not right to take the, the children's bed, bread and toss it to the dogs, and she just pushes right back and says, yes, Lord, uh, I, you know, I get that. But even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. And so it's this determined mom. She's pushing back on Jesus. So the question is, how does he respond? Well, he tells her, for such a reply, and that's that was such a good answer, that uh he says, you may go. The demon has left your daughter. And I want you to catch this, it's really fascinating to me. J- Jesus didn't issue a verbal command, did he? Um, he just thought it. <laughs> you love this? This is like cool. Don't you wish you could do this? It's so cool. Just, mm, boom! <laughs> mm, boom! Uh, that he he just thinks it. He just in his mind said, gives the command, okay, leave her. And miles away, however it was, this demon, boom, has to go. And uh, so she trusts in Jesus that it's all going to be good. And so she goes home, sure enough, finds her child lying on a bed. Demon is gone. And so uh, I'm, I'm sure that she does what most moms would do. At this point, and that's go crazy, right? She's gonna be so excited. She's gonna be calling all her friends. You know, doesn't have a phone, so she's got the tell, telephone thing. I uh, got the you know, the can oh, I don't have cans. Uh, anyway, um, she is gonna be going up and down the street. Woo! You know this. I, my, 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 this is what Jesus. And whoa, 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 Jesus, and, and and she's telling the story. And so, so this is gonna create problems for whom? Jesus, right? He's trying to stay under cover. And so he's going to have to go north now. And so he's going to, he's going to pack it in, you know, get out of Dodge. And so uh, at least that's my reading between the lines. And so in verse 31, uh, we move on to the second story, the deaf man. And so, so Jesus leaves the vicinity of Tyre. You know, his, his cover is blown. And he's going to go up to Sidon, which is about 20 miles away, which is about a, a journey, a day's journey away in the ancient world, maybe 17, 23 miles a day was a typical day's walk. And so he's going to go up there. And now, and now Mark uh, doesn't tell us much what happens there, but he uh, then he begins to backtrack. He's going to go back to south to the Sea of Galilee uh, but he doesn't go to the western side where he normally does. He goes to the eastern side to this area of the Decapolis, which again is a very Gentile heavy area. And so again, these people had not experienced Jesus. Most of these people had never seen the miracles. Most of these people had never uh, uh, been on the west side and seen all these done there. Uh, these are not west side Jews. These are east side Gentiles, right? So uh, so they've heard rumors. They've had some people from their towns gone to um, g- gone to the, the the west side and probably seen and come back and reported just like in Tyre and Sidon uh, back in chapter 5 Jesus had once come to the east side and he had cast the demons out of the man called Legion you remember that? And uh, then he told the man afterwards, go and tell every, everyone what the Lord has done. And we're told that man went through the Decapolis telling about Jesus. And so the name of Jesus is known on the east side. Uh, some people have come to visit him. Rumors have spread. But most people have never seen Jesus. Most people have never seen a miracle. But, but these people, they hear Jesus is in town. And so they're going to bring a deaf man and a man who can hardly speak to Jesus to be healed. And they're going to ask him, can you lay hands on him and can you Heal him. Now, it's really interesting because uh, in this account, you know, in the Gospel of Mark and all the Gospels, the Gospel writers rarely describe for us how Jesus heals people. They, they, they rarely, kind of, they just say he heals lots of people. Sometimes they'll give a little bit more details, like Mark chapter 1, he reaches out and touches this man who's got leprosy, or he says to the man coming down the ceiling, uh, chapter 2, your sins are forgiven. Uh, But there's not a lot of detail given, just lots of healings, not a lot of detail. In this particular one, Mark gives us lots of detail. And it may be because this this man was deaf, it may be because it's on the eastern side, we're not sure. But we're told that Jesus is going to take this man who's deaf and can hardly speak. He's going to take him away from the crowd. He's going to get him off by himself, maybe to get rid of distractions. And he's going to act out what he's about to do. So what he's going to do is he's going to take his fingers and he's going to put them in the man's ears. Because this is what he's about to do. He's about to heal his ears. So he's kind of acting it out, right? A little weird if you're the man, though. Right? Well, whatever, you know. And, uh, but it's going to get weirder because now he's going to spit. And then take some of his spit and put on this guy's tongue. Gross, right? So, um, so anyway, so apparently not so gross then. But anyway, uh, we know that some of the healers in those days, people that, that claim to have a healing power, they often believe that there, there, was, there was power in their saliva. And so it may be what Jesus is doing is simply acting out for this man who can't hear. He can't talk to him. He says, acting out, here's what I want to do. Maybe he's mouthing it. I'm going to heal your ears, and I want to hear your tongue. And Maybe that's what's going on. But for whatever reason now, uh, he is going to heal this man, and Mark's giving us more details. So let's see what happens. So uh, Jesus, 31, he leaves vicinity of Tyre, he goes up through Sidon, down to the Sea of Galilee on the eastern side, comes to the region of Decapolis. And there are some people, uh, some people brought to him a man who was deaf, could hardly talk. They begged him to place his hand on the man. And so after he, he took him aside, away from the crowd, he puts his finger into the man's ears. Then he spit, and he touched the man's tongue, and he looks up to heaven. And with a deep sigh, he says to him, which uh, we believe to be Aramaic. Uh, Jesus spoke Aramaic as one of his languages. And so it uh, said, be opened. And at this, the man's ears were opened, his tongue was loosened, and he began to speak. And so I want you to picture this. You're an Eastern Side Gentile. You've heard rumors of this man. You've never, uh, you've never seen a miracle. Uh, you've got a case study going on. You're locked on. You're one, you're watching from a distance. You see the, the fingers in the ears, you see the you know, tongue on the tongue. And then and all of a sudden loud, you know, effeta. And then all of a sudden you you realize it's worked. And right? it's worked. This man uh that you can tell by the look on his face, always oh, He's, he's, he's touching his ears. He's just, I, you can tell it worked. And so now the crowd is starting to go crazy. I'm sure they're high-fiving. Woo! You know, just there's things. And the, just if you're the man, it's the first thing you perhaps have ever heard. is the screaming of the crowd, the clapping. You know, they're like, wow. You know, so, so it's a big-time miracle. And so for these people on the east side, they've ne- most of them have never seen this. And so they are just blown away. Jesus, meanwhile, doesn't need any more publicity. He doesn't need Herod on his, uh, 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 on his trail. Uh, there's a lot of misconceptions about what Messiah is going to do and be. And so he's always trying to kind of keep a low profile, which is hard to do. So anyway, he says uh, in verse uh, 36, uh, Jesus commanded them not to tell anyone. Of course, that didn't work. The more he did so, the more they kept talking about it. And so people were overwhelmed with amazement, and he has done everything well. They said, you know, the rumors are true. He even makes the deaf hear. He makes the mute speak. All right? So, so here we have today, uh, Jesus going outside the borders of Israel, new horizons, uh, a four, a, kind of a window into the future of, of the, the coming of the kingdom, going out. He meets these two people, and for them on this day, this becomes a new horizon for them. That as they come to Jesus, their world's expanded, their world's changed as they connect with Jesus, uh, and their lives are changed forever. And so from this, there's a a couple things I want to focus on today. Uh, There's kind of one big picture principle I want to hit today, and it's interesting because Typically, when I work on a message, I'll work on it six, seven, eight weeks in advance, work on it one week, put it aside, don't look at it for a couple months. The last week we're going to be teaching it, I, I bring it out, rework it, kind of look at it with fresh eyes. Uh, usually there's some, a lot of similar, a lot of things stays together in this, but this particular time when I brought it out, something big hit me, hadn't seen it all the first time, it just felt like this is what God had for us Today. And so there's one big picture principle I want us to focus on today and then come back at the end and, and I'm going to throw out two questions to see how you're interacting in your life with Jesus with this big picture principle, all right? So there in your note sheet, you have a section called New Horizons, Discovering Your Future and, uh, and here's the principle. Uh, what we want to talk about today is the power of prayer. we want to talk about the power of prayer and in fact, you may want to add another word in there. You may want to add the word, the power of persistent. Prayer. Now, uh, one of the things you one of the things you learn as you study the life of Jesus, is that Jesus is big on prayer. Uh, you know, prayer is simply communication with God, right? Like, well, let's not let's not complicate things here. Uh, prayer is communication with God. It's conversation with God. It doesn't have to be verbal. You can think it. Uh, just like Jesus thought the demon away. Right? It's just it's connection, it's, it's communication with God. And in, in our relationship with God, just like in our human relationships, uh, communication is the lifeblood of the relationship. Right? So like, like in human relationships, communication is the lifeblood of the relationship. You show me a good marriage, I will show you good communication. You show me a bad marriage, I'll show you bad communication, that communication is the lifeblood of any relationship. And so for Jesus, uh, prayer was extremely important to him. It was a lifeblood of his relationship with his father. It's a place he connected. It's a place he got direction for his future. It's a place where he resisted temptation. It's, it's, a, it's a place where he uh, partnered with God on their, the, the plans they had together. And so you see this throughout his life. Uh, For example, we've seen it in the Gospel of Mark, and I want to go back just quickly and highlight a couple things. Remember in Mark chapter 1, the story of Jesus starts with his first day in Capernaum, a Saturday in Capernaum. He casts out a demon Saturday morning in the synagogue service. That night after Sabbath is over, remember the whole town comes to be healed, to be set free from demons. Jesus is up late, uh, healing, freeing people from demonic oppression. But the very next morning, while his disciples are sleeping in, Jesus gets up while it's still dark before sunset. And after this long night, he carefully walks out the door, closes it gently not to wake up his men, and he sneaks out into a quiet place to spend with his father. Now, why does he do that? He does it because it's go time. You see, the day before he had launched his ministry, from this point on, People are going to be flocking Jesus. And and from this point on, there's going to be a constant temptation to forget what his mission is, which is primarily not to heal, but primarily to spread the message that the kingdom is near. right? And and so he's going to get out there and get refocused at the beginning of this ministry. He's going to go out, he's going to spend time with his father. Later on, later in the morning, Peter's going to come out with a Hey, where are you? we been looking for you everywhere. And Jesus says, hey, we got, let's get it going. We need to move on because I've got a job to do. I need to keep preaching through the villages. You see, clarity in his vision. Um, uh, Luke tells us in Luke's account of that same event I just described, in Luke chapter 5, he says that Jesus got up that morning and went out, and it says, as he often did. Okay, So this was a pattern for Jesus Jesus, throughout his life, would often get up early in the morning. Other times he'd stay up late at night. His life was very busy. And so to get time alone with his father, he often had to carve out time very intentionally. He had to make some sacrifices. So, so, for example, in chapter 3, uh, he needs to pick his disciples, one of the most important decisions he'll ever make, who are the 12 men who will lead this movement. And we're told that that day that he went up into a mountain, and Luke uh, tells us in his version that Jesus spent the whole night in prayer. Right, praying, I'm sure, which men to choose, probably praying for them, that they would say yes, praying for their future, praying for protection, right? And so, early morning, late at night. Uh, You move on into Mark chapter 6, a couple weeks ago, we saw the feeding of the 5,000. You remember, at the end of the day, they wanted to come and make him king. John tells us his account that Jesus kind of resists that temptation, dismisses the crowd, goes up about 7 o'clock at night, 7 or 8 at night, and he's there praying with his father until somewhere between 4 and 6 in the morning. So at 8 to 10 hours. Why? Because it was a time of temptation. Right? They wanted to make him king. Uh, he needed to disperse that. He needed to go back, get clear on his calling, connect with his father. And so what you see throughout the life and teaching of Jesus, that Jesus was big on prayer. It, it's how he connected with his father. It's how he stayed on track with his priorities. It's how he moved into his preferred, God's preferred future for him. It's how he resisted temptation. And it's how he partnered with God to get things done together. You see, And so his, his men, they observe this. And they're good Jews. They pray several times a day. Uh, they, they go to synagogue, they've watched people pray, but they've never seen someone pray like Jesus prays. And so they actually go to him at a certain point and they say, Jesus, will you teach? We see there's power when you ask for things. Uh, could you teach us how to pray? And so Jesus says yes, and he gives them this model prayer that's really not designed so much to recite. It's fine to do that, but it's really more of a model prayer of, of like, here's the kinds of things you should be praying about. And we call it what? What do we call it? The Lord's Prayer, right? So here's, here's the kinds of things. It's interesting, and it's, it's, it's recorded in two places, Matthew 6 and in Luke 11. And in Luke 11, when Jesus teaches that, he goes right on to talk not about how to pray, but about the importance of persistence in prayer. In other words, of when you want something from God, that you need to keep on asking until one of three things happens. Until God answers the prayer, until God says no on the prayer, or until God changes your heart, you don't care anymore, right? That, and, so Jesus, and so Jesus teaches, and now this is very counterintuitive to me, because it doesn't really make sense to me why you would have to ask God multiple times, right? Because it doesn't mean like, like, did he forget, like, you know, or does he respond well to nagging? Yeah, you this know, just nag me long enough, you know. Uh, and so it doesn't, in fact, in Matthew's account, in Matthew chapter six, which is the other account of the Lord's Prayer, there's some more teaching of Jesus on prayer. And here's what Jesus says. He says, when you pray, keep it simple. He says, don't think that you're gonna be heard by all your fancy words. You know, you know some of you, you're in life groups, and, and some of you are still intimidated to pray out loud. And the reason you're a timid, because you don't think you know how to pray. Like, if you can talk, you know how to pray. Okay? And sometimes we can be intimidated by these longtime, you know, believers. Oh, God of the heavens, you know. And it's like, you know, it's like, I don't know how to talk like that. Well, no one else does either. You know, it's like, it's just, like... Look, like, just talk. Just talk to God, right? Keep, and so Jesus says, keep it simple. Don't think you'll be heard by all your fancy words. In fact, in one translation, it says, don't be like the Gentiles. They think they'll be heard because of their meaningless repetition. Okay? So, so God knows, he says, God knows what you need before you ask. So just ask him. He's going to provide you. He loves you. He's going to provide for you, right? And so you take that teaching of Jesus and you say, well, then why do we have to keep on asking? You know, it's like, And yet Jesus is very clear, and more than once, that there's something about the way you and I are wired, there's something about the way our relationship with God works, there's something about the way that you and I grow spiritually, and there's something about the way spiritual warfare works that makes persistence really important. And so in that Luke 11 passage where Jesus gives gives the Lord's Prayer, he goes right on to talk about persistence and he tells a story. He says, let me tell you a story to kind of drive this home. Once upon a time, there's a man, he's got a friend coming to visit him. The friend travels all day. He arrives late at night. In fact, he comes in at midnight. My hunch is the guy is is hosting and probably didn't expect him to come the next day. So he's not gone to Fresh and Easy or Vons. He's not like, you know, he's not ready to go. And so when the guy comes in at midnight, he's starving, right? You know how it is a road trip. You come here starving, and so he's like, I want to feed the guy, but I have no food. And so he goes next door to his friend, and he knocks on the door. Hey, Joe, my, my buddy from Buffalo just got here, right? And, and he's starving, and say, so I don't have any food. Do you have some food for me? And Joe's like, go away. I'm asleep. <laughs> Joe, I can hear you in there. Uh, Come on, I really need some. I'm not, I'm not kidding. The guy's starving. Send him to In-N-Out. It's open till one, even in me. you know? <laughs> no, it's serious. Come on, Joe. He's starving. He doesn't even like hamburgers. You know? Anyway, so whatever. Jesus says, the guy just keeps on bugging him until finally, he says, the guy doesn't, not because he loves his friend, but he's just so irritated. He gets up and opens the door and gets him some food. Now, let me ask you, do you have any friends like that? My suggestion, if you do, is lose them. Anyway, so what's, what? and Jesus says, so that's how you should pray. Like, what? We're supposed to, like, keep nagging God until, you know, like, what's the point? And Jesus goes on in that same passage. He says, this has nothing to do with like who God is. He says, like, God loves you. He's like a father. And he says, the same way that you give good gifts to your children, you delight, to, even though you're evil, you know how to do that. He says, God is, he loves giving good gifts. So the point of the parable is not that God is like the neighbor. That's not the point. He's not like, God's not like the narcissistic, self-absorbed neighbor. That's not the point. But the point is that there's, there's for some reason, the way the universe is wired, this is important for us to be persistent. And I don't know if you've ever experienced this in your own life, but if you've, got, if you've gone through something you've really prayed to God for for a long period of time, and, and then God finally, and you've probably experienced this. Where, where something happens, when you ask God for something that you really want, and you keep on asking, and he doesn't answer, what happens? It causes you to press into God more, doesn't it? It's like you become like that woman, like that that woman. Like, no, you're pressing into God more. And in that process, what happens? You're changed. And in that process, your relationship with God deepens. And your faith is stretched. And often there's even a spiritual warfare component. You know, back in the Old Testament, the book of Daniel, we're told on one occasion that Daniel, there was this major issue he was praying about. And he was so serious, he was praying and fasting. And he prays and fasts for 21 days, and at the end of the 21 days, the angel shows up, and he, here's what he says, Daniel, from the very first moment you began to pray, God answered your prayer and sent the answer, and I've been sent to give it to you. But he said, but there was a spiritual warfare. I met some demonic powers en route, and there was a spiritual war that went on, and it's taken me 21 days. That, that often, uh, our prayer is part of a spiritual warfare behind the scenes that is, is actually achieving the very things that we're asking for. And so there are a wide variety of reasons why a persistence apparently is required. But one thing is really clear, that it is required. Uh, I, I think sometimes like, um, if you have any small children, you'll understand there's some maybe grandchildren. But if you ever have small kids and you go through a store and they want everything, <laughs> like a four-year-old, you know what I'm saying? Like a four-year-old, you go, I, I want this. Right? And the parent, what do you do? You go, No. And then you're like, two more steps. Can I have this? No. Three more steps. Can I have this? No. Pretty soon, you just want to make a flash card, right? It just says no. And, and before you go in the store, you say, uh, honey, we're going to go in today. If you see anything you want, um, here's a little card. Just flip it over. <laughs> it says no. Right? <laughs> um, hey, mommy, flip the card over. Um <laughs> Uh, uh, well, you know what? Sometimes we're like that in our relationship with God, right? We're going, to, yeah, would you bless me here? Would you bless me here? Would you bless me here? And the thing is, as a parent, you know that they don't even want that thing. Like if you bought that thing for them, they would like for two seconds be happy and then the car, you just thrown away. It's like, like I think of my, my granddaughter. So like, Papa, can we do this? Papa, can we do that? And lots of things, and no. And they're like, oh, okay. You know, they're good, you know. Uh, but, but as a parent, you also know that there are times when your child asks you for something that they really want it. It's, like, it's not like a passing thing. There's something they really want. It really means a lot. And as a parent, when you discern that, now you move towards them in a different way, don't you? Now, now it's like if, if it's all possible, if it's in the best interest, you're going to come around and say, we're going to try to figure that out, how to do that. And so what Jesus says is that, that persistence is important, and you see it in this woman today. This woman that comes to Jesus, she so desperately wants her daughter to be healed. Jesus, for whatever reason, initially seems to say no, but she pushes through that, and he loves that. He loves because she really wants it, she really trusts him, and so he's gonna do this for her, even though it's not on his agenda, even though it wasn't on his plan, even though it wasn't the priority structure, uh, kind of like his mother. You remember, you, you remember like when, um, when Jesus, early on, uh, he, he, uh, he turned the water into wine. Do you remember that? And, and it was in, his mom comes to him and says, hey, Jesus, uh, they, these people ran out of wine. And so could you make something? And remember, he says, what do I have to do with you? It's not my time yet. It's like, it's not, this is not on, the, <laughs> it's not on the agenda. And she's like, whatever, just do whatever he says. <laughs> and what does he do? He, he makes the wine, right? So, so there's, there's something about this in the spiritual realm that uh, releases God's uh, power. And so, there in your note sheet, I've got a couple questions. And as we process this together, as you process this for what it means for your own life, uh, you know, before we do that, one verse I, I skipped there. I, after that, um, after Jesus. Um, yeah, just put it in reverse, go back. Uh, uh, after, uh, after Jesus taught about the power of persistence and he gives that story, the parable um, about the, the friend, uh, Jesus goes on and he says something very powerful. And it's there on your note sheet, it's Luke chapter 11, verse nine. And he says, so here's, he says, based on that story I just told you, he says, ask and it will be what? Yes. Given to you. Now, you can't see this in the English, but in the Greek, uh, this is stated in a very unusual way. Uh, usually in the Greek, they don't uh, writers don't use the present tense very much. Present tense uh, indicates continuous action, and so uh, most of the New Testament's not written in present tense. It's written in uh, sort of a well, it doesn't really matter other tenses. Um, anyway, um, and so uh, but these verbs in this this passage, I'm giving they're all present tense, and so it'd be very legit to translate it like this, and I think it really fits the passage what he's teaching. Uh, It it would go like this, ask, present tense, in other words, ask and keep on asking, and it will be given to you. Seek and keep on seeking, and you will find. A knock and keep on knocking, and the door will be opened to you. And that's exactly what this woman did. She hears Jesus around, you can picture her going through the streets like, seeking asking, knocking, and when she gets there, and he apparently says, no, she's just going to keep on pressing. It, it makes me think of throughout the scriptures, that, that uh, statement that's often made, where God says, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with what? All your all right, right, and she's a beautiful example. And he goes on and says, "For everyone who asks, receives; and he who seeks finds; and to him who knocks, the door will be open." So it leads to a couple questions. In so next section, uh, new horizons, two key questions. Uh, I want to add a word to this first one. It will late add, late edit. Uh, this is all about how. And so let's write the word how right before the word are, and then we'll fill in the rest. Uh, the question is, how are you pursuing Jesus? How are you pursuing Jesus? Uh, th- there was a certain level of intensity in this woman's seeking of Jesus, right? She wouldn't take no for an answer. We've seen today that this whole passage is about new horizons. It's about the, the gospel of the kingdom spreading out into new Gentile areas, kind of a window in the future. But it was not just a window into the future for the kingdom of God, it was a window into the future for these three people in this story, for the mother and the daughter, and for this this deaf man. Uh, For them, uh, this encounter with Jesus today was gonna change their future forever. But in both cases, they had to pursue Jesus. They had to seek, and they had to ask, and they had to knock to move into God's preferred future for them. And it's true in both of them. It's especially true. You see it in this woman that, that sought after Jesus so strong, and, and one of the things I think we learn from this is that uh, if we want to move into God's preferred future for our lives, that there, there's an intensity of required. That there's a seeking. There's a asking. There's a knocking that's required. Like I want to ask you a question, and I don't, I don't want to ask. I don't want to say you know raise your hands or say anything, like amen, or something like that. Uh, this is just for you. But I, w- I want to ask you a question, I want you to seriously think about it. And the question is this, is do you believe that God has a preferred future for your life? Do, do you believe that God has a preferred future Future, something that he specifically wants to do in your life. A preferred future for your marriage, if you're single. Uh, for your future, maybe perhaps mate or dating situation. Uh, maybe it's a, a, a ministry, preferred future. Maybe it's a spiritual life relationship with Jesus, new things, preferred future. It's financial. Do you believe that God has a preferred future for your life? And then the question is, if you believe it, if you believe that, are you seeking, are you asking, and are you knocking? Because because here's what we see today is that it is very unlikely that you're going to move into God's preferred future for your life if you're not seeking and asking and knocking. We see it modeled today in this woman for her daughter. We also see it uh, modeled in Jesus' life. Uh, We talked about this today, Mark 1, up late at night, healing people. The next day, he's up out on his own, time alone with God, seeking. What's he seeking? He's seeking his preferred future. What's your plan? What's the the assignment? What do I need to be focused on? Uh, We see it in Mark 3. You know, he's... Going to need to pick his disciples, major life decisions. Any of you, fa- any of you facing major life, no, no, don't raise your hand, but any of you raising, facing a major life decision right now, you're in a dating relationship, you go forward, you go back, you got a school decision, this college or that college, you got a career decision, you got a financial decision, you got a ministry decision. Are you seeking God? Jesus spent the night in prayer seeking wisdom for that. And you're facing a major temptation in your life right now. Jesus faced a temptation to become king early, had a schedule. He goes up eight to ten hours with his father. You see, see, for Jesus, he models this. That if he was going to move into God's preferred future for his life, that he had to seek, he had to ask, he had to knock. And so the question is, is that happening in your life right now? And there's different ways we seek, ask, and knock, but I think one of the most important ways is the way that Jesus models for this today, this time alone. And I, I want you to think with me of an analogy here. I, I often think of our spiritual life as a three-legged stool. This one's got four, so I can't use it, but uh, th- think of your life like a three-legged stool, kind of three key components in your spiritual walk that will lead you into your future, the future that God has for you. Um, the first leg of the three-legged stool would be what happens here on the weekends, our weekend services, right? Uh, Because what happens here is we come together as the people of God and we come to worship him and to encounter his presence, which which strengthens and refreshes and clarifies what's important. You know, often during this time, I I was noting in, in the earlier service today just how many of our worship songs are really prayers, right? They're really prayers, God, will you do this? God, will you do this? Will you draw? There's so many prayers. And so in that time, we're really drawing close to God, and it's a very important time. And then we go into a time of teaching. And this time of teaching is designed to be each week a time of clarity. It's a time where the, the fog of life and the confusion of life gets cleared up for a while. We see a little bit clearly who God is and who we are and how we're to live and and, and we hear his voice and we get his direction. So, so what happens here in the weekend service is extremely important. You we're know, gonna move into God's preferred future, to gather together with God's people under his word and worship is extremely important, right? But this weekend is not really good for relationships. Like as you sit here, you just look at the person's head in front of you, you know? It's like you're not really, it's not really designed for relationship. And so there's a second leg of that stool that we need. And that second leg is some sort of small group experience, some kind of smaller group. We're gathering together with other followers of Jesus. We're sharing our lives. They're sharing our lives. Here's what I'm learning. Here's what I'm learning. Here's where I'm discouraged. Here's where uh, I'm just. We're, just, we're, we're, we're speaking to each other. We're growing. We're sharing. We're, we're taking the journey together. It's extremely important. What happens in a small group can't happen On uh, on the weekend services, by and large, what happens? By and large, the weekends can't happen in a small group. They're different. They're important. They're they're different legs. Uh, Friday night, Lynn and I were uh, at uh, at uh, we went out for to dessert uh, late at uh, Macaroni Grill in Simi, and uh, had this great great well a young waitress there, and we started a conversation with her, and she's a believer, and and uh, goes to Cornerstone, and we just had this amazing conversation with her, just, just loved her, and uh, you know, we shared, you know, it's late, there's hardly anyone there, she shared her whole testimony, how she'd come to Christ, and now, you know, four out of the six people in her family came to come to Christ, it's just, it was just a powerful conversation, you know, we just had a great time with her, and and, uh, you know, I came away just so strengthened. The next day, I was just strengthened by that conversation. And that's what happens. When you hear what God's doing in other people's lives, there's a strengthening, there's a power that comes from that. And typically, that doesn't happen at macaroni grill on a Friday night. <laughs> typically, that happens in a small group, right? So we need just, we need a large group, we need small group. But then there's a third leg to that stool. And the third leg is that one-on-one personal time with God that Jesus models today. It's our, our time with our Father, it's time with Jesus. Uh, and there's nothing that can replace this. Weekends, uh, just like weekends can't replace small groups, or small groups can't replace weekends, they're, they're different legs on the stool. They're, they're different experiences. But there's nothing that can replace this time one-on-one with God where we go and have honest conversation about what we're doing together. We talk about our lives. We get clarity on the future and which decisions we should make. And we learn. We hear his voice. We're taking his word. We're letting it shape our lives. We're processing. We're praying over the things that we want God to do, that we're doing with him. There's nothing that can take the place of that. And here's the thing, that if you look at our lives and I were to ask you, which of those three legs of the stool are we most likely to neglect and therefore fall over in our life? Which one would it be? See, for most of us, not all of us, but for most of us, it would be that time alone. Because we're sort of in the routine of coming to church and we have to go to our life group because if they don't, they'll yell at us. And so... Um, <laughs> But it's that time alone that life gets so busy. And here's what I want you to catch. Without this time alone with God on a regular basis, and notice I said regular. I'd say daily. You can work this out. We're all different. Uh, you know, some of you are more extroverted. Five minutes alone, you're going to kill yourself. But uh, <laughs> I'm not prescribing here exactly how this works, right? But here's what I'm going to tell you. Without regular time alone with God one-on-one, it is going to be almost impossible for you to move into God's preferred future for your your life. And the reason is, is that life is just simply way too distracting. The the reason is, is that our culture is lying to us 24-7. The moment you walk out of here, you go back, you, you, you drive home, the billboards come, the radio comes on, the TV comes on, the new newspapers come on, the web comes on, you start getting tweets, what the mo- if, if you're getting lied to, right? The, 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 the moment you walk out, the culture begins to tell you the most important thing in life is, is making tons of money, and the more stuff you have, the more happy you'll be. The moment you walk out of here, you're going to get the message, the more beautiful you are, the more important you are. The moment you walk out of here, you're going to get the message: that sleep with whoever you want, whenever you want. Don't let anyone tell you this is the path to life. Right? It's just constant, and I could go. I could go 15 other examples. Right? It's just this world is constantly bearing down and lying to us. We have an enemy. The human race has an enemy, and his greatest resource of attack is deception. And, 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 and if you are not getting time alone with Jesus, like Jesus has, where you're getting clear on life and clear on your priorities and clear on your choices and your values and, and what life's about, if you don't have it, it's very difficult to stay on track. Jesus couldn't do it. Jesus had to spend time alone to stay on track. How do you think you're going to do it you see we often talk about being christ followers we can't follow jesus unless we're doing the things jesus did you see and so you may say well mike i don't even know where to start i, I i've tried that before whatever I, I get that it's not something that's an easy thing you need the holy spirit to help you guide you mentor you empower you right But uh, this is so important. This is why we created this first essential course we call here in our essential track. It's called Pursuing God One-on-One. Because as a pastor, I recognized after pastoring for a really long time that we're all wired differently. And there's no cookie cutter method. You can't just say, just do it like this. You're gonna have to pursue God and the Holy Spirit mentor you. But we wanted to give you some resources to help you understand the different ways God may do this. And you can take that course anytime. It's online, 24-7. Go through at your own rate. This might be a great first step to say, you know, my first step in pursuing God is I'm just gonna start taking that course and learning from that. And that's gonna be the first thing I do. And that'll get me going. I'm gonna ask God to guide me. But whatever you do, here's what I wanna challenge you. If you wanna move into your preferred future, you have to seek, you have to ask and you have to knock, right? Now, the second point, real quick, we won't take much time on this, but the second question deals not so much with how you're pursuing God, but, but kind of the what, and, but the question goes like this, where do you need to practice persistence? Where in your life do you need to practice persistence? We've talked today about the, the power, the importance of persistence, uh, but, but the question is where? You know, Jesus said, seek and you will find, not, but where, what areas of your life, where is it right now that you're being tempted to stop? I think many times, as followers of Jesus, we stop asking way too soon. Okay? And so, like I said, we need to ask until God says yes, no, or our heart changes. And we don't, we don't want it. Right? That we need to keep, we can, so, so where, like, what is it in your life that you need to be persistently asking? Is it your marriage? Is it your Finances? Is it your parenting? Is it your spiritual life? Is it an area of temptation? What is the thing in your life you really need to hear from God? You really need to answer. And the question is then are you persistently pursuing that? You know, I was singing last night. In my life, there's certain things that pretty much every time I spend God, uh, any time with God in a kind of a, a more extended time, they just, they just bubble up. Not, not because I have a list, but just because they're on my heart. They're things that I deeply care about. I, one of those things is my family. Like, I just, pretty much every time I pray, I'm praying for my family. I'm putting their names down on a piece of paper, and I'm writing words around here God, so I want you to do. And I, I'm just passionate. I, just, I want them to love Jesus, I, I want them to be passionate about Him. I don't, Nothing else matters to me as much as that. Passion about Jesus, wise, understanding his ways, pursuing him. I want them to bless their lives, give them life wisdom, their relationships, and just pretty much every time I'm praying, I'm just bringing that to, to Jesus. You know, because, because I just, I'm passionate about that. Like, I want uh, my kids, my grandkids, my, I want them to pursue Jesus. I want their life transformed. I, I don't want them to waste their lives. I want to get to the end of their life and have missed what life's about. And I'm passionate about that. And so I'm going to pray about it. I'm, I'm passionate about leadership wisdom. Every time I pr- almost every time I pray, put my initials in the center of a page, circle it, put a rainbow over it, begin praying over my life. And one of the things, first thing you go, oh, is leadership wisdom. God, I just want to understand. I want to understand life I want to understand how to lead well. I want to be a good shepherd. You just, you just pour your wisdom into my life? I want to lead well. All right. the last six months, there's been a kind of a new, just a, a hunger for a deeper relationship with Jesus in my life. And, and so, so many times, first word down over my life is deeper. God, I just want to, I want to hear your voice more. Um, I want to walk with you more closely. I want to partner with you and what you're doing uh, I, I want you to speak into my life. I just, what is it in your life you really want God to do? And then, are you being persistent? Because here's what we learned today: that we need to pray as if our future depends on it. Because it does. Let's pray. Father, we just pray you'd come and shepherd us as a church in our own lives and mentor us in this area of prayer. God, just take away the mystery, this, this conversation with you about what we're doing together, uh, walking through life together with you. And we just pray that you would ignite a new passion for you and the things that are important inside of our life. And we pray that that'd be reflected in those times alone with you. We pray that you'd mentor us in that. We are the first to admit we cannot do this on our own. We need your power. We need your guidance. We need your direction. And so we just pray that you would draw us closer and that you would light that fire deep down in our soul uh, to, to draw after you. And so, Lord, as we come now and even have the chance to practice this right now, just to draw close in prayer as we worship, we pray and meet us as we receive our offerings. And this would just be a very special time, a first step, into a deeper relationship with you right here and right now. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Would you stand with me? Like that woman who came so determined, that mom, fell before you. God, she begged. And we're pleading, God, we're pleading for more of you. God, we want you to to come in fullness and power on this church. We want when we're gathered together each weekend to just experience you in deeper and deeper ways. We want to walk with you in our life groups closer as we share life together. In those times alone, Lord, we want them to be sweeter, closer, more powerful. We recognize we'll need your power for this. We recognize we'll need your mentoring and your shepherding. Lord, we're not so ignorant to think that we can just go out and put our minds to this and make it happen that... We really need you to shepherd us. And so we ask you for that. Lord, we want more. We want deeper. We want we want to experience you. We want to move in that preferred future. And so God, all over this place, you see your people on your knees and we each have our own requests. We have a request for our church. And God, we just pray that you'd pour out your spirit, that we'd have more and that you'd, you'd light a fire down deep in our soul and we can't, Put out, we can't control. It just continues to burn brighter until you come again. We pray that you'd use us as a light in this city, these cities that we serve. We pray that many would come to know you as a result of us pursuing you passionately as a church. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Okay, let's stand together. Well, I hope you can be with us next week as we uh, continue this journey. I don't know if you've ever wondered Um uh, if there's a time where you can resist Jesus so long and just kind of turn a, a deaf ear to him so long that he, there comes a day he just turns and walks away and says, I'm done. And uh, it's a great question to ask. We're gonna see him do that next week. We'll see why it happens, what it means when it happens. There's a way back when it happens? Um, and we're gonna see, most importantly, how to make sure it never happens. And uh, so I hope you can be with us as we, uh, we continue this journey have a great week. Maybe this be a week of growth for you, maybe listening to the Holy Spirit as he calls you to spend time with him and begin that journey of pursuing him in a deeper way. You might seek and you might ask, you might knock, that the door be open, you'd, ask, you'd receive what you're asking for, you'd find what you're seeking, and that God might meet you and move you into your preferred future. Uh, God bless you guys. See you next weekend.